see, I knew I could make something out of it because I saw from the beginning what was important, perhaps, when no one else did. But you know when it comes to people, sometimes I struggle seeing the potential on people. Sometimes I struggle to see what they could be because perhaps there's an ugliness or there's a flaw or there's something truly wrong with them. Which is why Jesus went to the cross and died for all of us here tonight. Because He could say that potential. But truly, from my standpoint as a human being, I usually like to deal with people who are like this. Who appear to have it all together. Who appear to be successful. Who appear to be making those good decisions in life. Who appear to have everything going for them with absolutely no flaws. And on a side note, I know I don't look like this anymore, or perhaps I never did, but I think on Sunday mornings maybe we think we look like this and project the fact that we look like this with no flaws, no drama, no challenges, no issues, no sin that we're dealing with in our personal lives. And I know for me personally, I relate perhaps better to the person that appears to be all put together and the person that doesn't seem to have any challenges or issues in their life. When you look at this, perhaps this is what you may think of. It looks like they just maybe did a Starbucks run, and it's a college campus, and they're all getting together on their laptops talking about the most recent homework assignment their professor has given them. They look normal, whatever that means. They look happy. They look successful. They look like they're making good decisions in life. They look like these people have that potential, and it's very obvious to see them. And I think for me, when I look at this, it's easier for me to see this because I don't see the flaws. I don't see the challenges. The true potential is it's very easy to see because it's on the surface. Where I really struggle is seeing somebody like this because I see the consequences. I see the problems. I see the poor decision-making abilities by these individuals. And with my background, it's definitely hard to say, hey, would you like to have a Bible study? Would you like to learn more about Jesus? Would you like to hear what the good news is all about? These individuals have problems. These individuals come from a difficult background. These individuals have consequences because of the choices that they've made. Sometimes I have difficulty looking at someone in the situation that they find themselves in. And I may think as I drive by to do my McDonald's run or wherever I'm going, to think they've probably made some pretty poor decisions in their life. Or perhaps I might think something to the effect that there's probably not a whole lot I can do for this individual and maybe they're in this situation because of the consequences of the decisions that they made. Again, I may struggle with this particular person telling him about the good news of Jesus, still knowing that Jesus died for this particular person just like He did for me. Now I can tell by the looks on your faces, the first thing you're probably thinking about is, what was this guy thinking? In fact, I may just walk to the other side of the street if I see this guy coming towards me, but what I don't see sometimes is this person has a soul. I have difficulty seeing the potential with this individual, just like I did all of the others. Now, I know I'm not alone here. I know that I'm not the only one that's probably having difficulty when we look at people who are different from us. Or we look at people who have problems and challenges and drama. 
things that are wrong with them, just like that old rusty truck that sat in the field. I was able to see the potential. If I just simply did a few things, they would look like the image I just showed you a while ago with the tie on, and everything looked great. But sometimes we have difficulty seeing, you and I do, the potential for others. Sometimes we can't see the things that Jesus saw when he was on this earth and continues to see to this day, and that is Jesus sees a soul. A lot of times, you and I do not. For the time we're together tonight, I want to talk about a story, a story all of you are very familiar with, a story you've probably heard from when you were just very small, no pun intended. That's the story of Zacchaeus. And by, by culture and society standards back then as well as today, there was everything wrong with Zacchaeus, with the exception of his heart. But he was right to God. God saw the potential. He saw through the rust. He saw through the missing tires, the missing auto parts. He saw through that, that rusty truck sitting out in the vacant field, knowing there was potential because of the heart that Zacchaeus had. But by way of cultures, standards, society, social norms, whatever psychology equivalent name you want to give to it, everything was wrong with Zacchaeus. And I want us to look at the account here that Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 19 to walk through this story, keeping in mind Zacchaeus had a soul. Jesus knew Zacchaeus had a soul. Jesus saw the potential. Jesus saw the value. And Jesus looked through all those things. And he found value with Zacchaeus. So in Luke chapter 19, follow along with me as we go through the account here. And I want to point some things out as we go through together. And it's always my hope that you're going to see these things. That we're going to be able to make application to our lives as we wake up tomorrow and that alarm clock goes off, we grab our donuts and our coffee or whatever it is, the custom that we do in the morning, we trot off to work or school or wherever it may be, and we start thinking about Zacchaeus, about the value that he had, that Jesus saw in him. And for us to take off those blinders and start seeing what Jesus saw, that people have a soul. Chapter 19, verse 1. It says, He entered, referring to Jesus, Jericho, and was passing through. Now Jericho, as you may remember, is a pretty famous town. This is, of course, hundreds of years later, but we remember Joshua, we remember Jericho, we remember how that was destroyed, the instructions that were given to him way after they exited Egypt. And we can see Jesus is passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is just a very short distance from Jericho, and according to historians at this time, there could have been anywhere between one and two million people in this general area that were gathering together. So Jesus would have had huge crowds, huge people in Jericho and Jerusalem, and we can see Jesus is passing through Jericho. Verse 2, And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now his name, we don't know a lot about him. In fact, Luke is the only one that gives an account of Zacchaeus. But his name is Jewish, it appears his background is Jewish, and we can see specifically that he just wasn't a tax collector. He was in charge of all the tax collectors at that time. 
and he was rich, which probably meant he was very good at his job, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Verse 3, Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So we find a little bit more about him. He had this willingness of heart, this eagerness. Perhaps he was even curious about who Jesus was, having heard about him, and he was relatively small. So in verse 4, we can see what he does. He runs on ahead. He climbs up into a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus, for he was about to pass through that way. Verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. You know, we don't have a record of Jesus knowing Zacchaeus. We don't have a record of Zacchaeus knowing Jesus. But Jesus, being God, obviously, in the flesh, looks up, sees him in the tree, and says, I'm going to go home with you today. Now, that's interesting to me because our homes are private, they're personal. If it were me, I'd be thinking, did I leave my laundry out? Is my house clean? What's the condition of my house? But we can see here in verse 6 how Zacchaeus responds. And it says, and he hurried and came down and received him, referring to Jesus, gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now this story sounds great. It has one of those fairy tales. Everything's working out great until we have here the Jews, probably the Pharisees here, who have given Jesus a hard time throughout the book of Luke that we can see. You can see they're grumbling. They're complaining. There's a problem here. They don't like the fact that Jesus is associating with someone like Zacchaeus who's a tax collector, who's in charge of tax collectors, who's rich, because at that time, tax collectors were not looked upon as someone who had a profession that was an honest trade or honest profession. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. Verse 7 shows very clearly he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner, referring to Zacchaeus. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, Half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. We can see Zacchaeus immediately responds to Jesus in a positive way. Remember Zacchaeus, because Christ had not done yet, Zacchaeus was under the old law. And one of the things, according to Numbers, if you, if you hurt your brother, if you do something that was wrong, not only do you have to compensate them and make them a whole by 100%, you have to go in addition to that by going 120%. But Zacchaeus says, I'm going to go farther than that. I'm going to do 400% if I've wronged anyone. And again, he's referring to his profession because back then the way they were paid was able, was the fact that they were able to extort more money from people, and that's how they were paid. And in verse 9 and verse 10, Jesus so emphatically says, it says, and Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house, referring to Zacchaeus, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And I want you to think about that last verse. We're going to come back to it. But Jesus concludes this story with that last verse. For the next couple of minutes, I want to show you some things. I want to show you how Zacchaeus was wrong in every way. That the lenses that were put on traditionally by society and by culture and social norms, Zacchaeus was not the guy. He was wrong. There were so many things that were wrong with him, like the photos I showed you up here. He had that 
bright orange jumpsuit on. He had the wrong job. He had everything that was wrong with him, with the exception of his heart. So it's unusual for us to think that Jesus would single him out, but I want to show you how he was wrong, but then I want to show you how he was so right to God. And I want to make application from us by doing that. First of all, Zacchaeus, wrong profession. Absolutely wrong profession. Understand at this time, to be doing the job that Zacchaeus was doing, in fact, to be doing it, to be in charge of it, would have been somebody that was looked down upon. When you work for the Roman government like Zacchaeus did, being Jewish, which the Scriptures show that he probably was Jewish, he would have been looked down upon by the Jews to think that he basically betrayed them working for the Roman government. In fact, there's a, there's a term that we use today. The federal government has a law called racketeering. Racketeering is using unethical business practices. And that's exactly what he was doing. He would go knock on your door. They didn't pull out your paycheck and deduct contributions like we do now. They'd knock on the door, find out what your assets are, find out exactly what you owed. And they would fulfill the Roman government's requirement by doing that. But whatever he could extort from that person above and beyond what was actually owed is how they obtained their paycheck. We can see going back to verse 2 that Zacchaeus was very rich. Probably very good at his job. And he was very willing, according to verses 8 and following, to give that up to follow Jesus. So Zacchaeus, in many ways, was wrong as far as profession goes. He was too wealthy. Again, at that time, it was unusual to have someone who had riches that would be a follower of Jesus. We can look at many examples all the way through the Gospels on how traditionally the ones who followed Jesus were the ones who were destitute, and the ones who were more blue-collar, the ones who were more poor, Because in this culture, in this society, the way that he gained his riches was questionable. It was flat out illegal by our standards. But back then it was normal for someone to do that in that profession. It's interesting to note as well that the book of Luke talks a lot about riches. It talks a lot about the responsibility the one who possesses riches has. It talks about how possessing riches, having power, having prestige or prominence over someone, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I want to make sure I'm clear. There's nothing inherently wrong with having stuff, having money, having a a, a bloated bank account. There's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus warns there's tremendous responsibility that comes with having those blessings. Zacchaeus was one of those guys who had a lot of wealth. A lot of responsibility. And in verse 8, we can see he gladly gave it up to follow Jesus. So he was wrong because he was too wealthy. His background, probably Jewish. And if you remember, the people that hated Jesus and eventually put him on the cross and killed him were Jewish. We can see through Jesus' ministry here, he's constantly being bombarded and belittled and embarrassed. Christ, but he didn't. He didn't. That potential was there. Jesus saw that. He saw the importance of his soul. Now I'm trying hard on this next one. 
I promised Cliff there wouldn't be any short jokes. I'm really trying to keep that promise. But he was short. He was a small guy. His stature was small. And if you remember, we have several examples. The one that comes to mind that's probably the most important was King Saul. King Saul was primarily chosen because he was a big guy of great stature who was handsome, who looked like a leader. Zacchaeus wasn't that guy. And even by our standards today in our culture, we tend to have the stereotype if they're, if they're handsome, if they're, if, they're, if they're bigger, if they're physically fit, like we showed the images before, they must have their life together. They must be successful. They must be doing something right. Zacchaeus is running around crowds climbing trees so they can see Jesus. That's unusual at the very least. Zacchaeus was wrong because the physical characteristics he had were not appealing. So when Jesus looks at him and looks through the, the profession, the wealth, the background, the physical characteristics, Jesus looks through Zacchaeus and he sees his soul. He sees his soul. Now I want to show you. I want to show you what's important here. In verse 3, we can see specifically how Zacchaeus responds to Jesus seeing his soul. And I think this is so important because all of the points I'm going to show you, all of the points that I'm going to show you, are something we can improve upon probably. At least I know I can. Because I tend to have those stereotypes. I tend to, to look at an individual on occasion and think, I, I just don't, I don't see it. You know, I don't see the potential. I'm not so sure I want to talk to him. I'm not sure I want to invite him to services. I'm not so sure I want to have a Bible study. I'm not so sure about those things. I mean, look what they did. Look at the flaw they have. Look at the sin that they're struggling with. But Jesus doesn't do that. He looks through that. He sees their soul. And we can see, first of all, in verse 3, that Zacchaeus' motives were pure. We can see here Zacchaeus is trying to see who Jesus was. Now, I'm sure all of us can think of an example where maybe we, we talked to somebody, maybe it was a family member, or maybe it was a neighbor, and their motives weren't so pure. Maybe they were thinking, what's Jesus going to do for me? I mean, yeah, He died for me, or He did this, or He did that, but really, what's the benefit I'm going to get out of living as a Christian? You ever talked to anybody like that? Zacchaeus wasn't concerned about what Jesus was going to do for him. Zacchaeus had pure motives whether it was curiosity that was driven, whether it was simply his faith. The Scriptures don't tell us. But his motives were pure because he truly wanted to see who Jesus was, and he goes above and beyond to see that. There's action on his part. We can see he's not discouraged because in verse 4, he runs on ahead of the crowd, again being short, and he climbs up into a sycamore tree. And I've shown you a picture here of what a sycamore tree looks like in case you've never seen one. He wasn't discouraged. I know there are times in my life when discouragement is challenging. That something so small can happen that it can just derail me completely. Much less me running around the crowd and running up in a tree. I'd probably be so concerned about how silly I would look having the profession of the chief tax collector and I'm sitting up in a tree. But don't we do that sometimes? Aren't we maybe so more concerned about how we look in society or community or our culture than we are about how we look to Jesus. 
Zacchaeus wasn't discouraged. He wasn't concerned about how he would look to the other crowd that was around him. He was concerned about what Jesus would think. He was concerned about what Jesus would think. Zacchaeus was obedient. Verse 6 shows that he hurried and he came down. Jesus responds to him and says, I'm going to go home with you. Come on down here. You notice there's no excuses that are being made. There's no, let me check my schedule, Jesus, I'll get back to you. Let me see what I got going. Maybe I can pencil you in Thursday at 3 o'clock. Let me see if my house is clean. A little bit embarrassed about that. Notice the response was immediate obedience. There was no selfishness. There was no concern about Him. It was about Jesus. And I'm afraid that all of us, especially me, can take this application based on this one point if there's nothing else that we can. Obedience. What does Jesus expect me to do with my life, my very short life, while I'm here on this earth? It's not about me. It's about Him. Last but not least, I want you to see that Zacchaeus was right to God because he was willing. Verses 6 and verses 8 show that Zacchaeus willingly received Jesus. And notice what it says there. And received Him hesitantly, received Him some of the time, received Him a little bit, received Him because nothing else was going on, received Him gladly. Zacchaeus realized who Jesus was, realized what Jesus meant, realized the changes he needed to make, not believing that that would be too much. Because again, sometimes we're not willing to do very much for Jesus. Verse 8 shows he repented of those things. Fourfold, 400%, I'm going to give back to anybody that I've wronged. And I'm definitely going to follow you. Zacchaeus was right to God in these ways. The difference was, Jesus sees a soul. When I showed you those individuals up here that were nicely dressed in the college group, and I showed you the, the convicts out on the prison yard, I showed you the homeless man, and I showed you the gentleman with all the tattoos and piercings. I don't always see a soul. I see social norms. I see being uncomfortable. I see stereotypes. I see things for me that are challenges on occasion. And I'm sure you're in that boat with me on time. Jesus saw a soul. Jesus sees a soul. So I'm going to throw it back at you. What do you see? What do you see with the people that you deal with? When you look at this picture, what do you see? Do you see a soul? We should. We should see the potential. We should be able to look past all of the things perhaps that bother us, that we're concerned about, that there's challenges, because every one of us is struggling with something. And Jesus has seen a soul because He's died for us. So we can have a home in eternity for heaven. Jesus sees a soul. Do you see a soul? Come back to verse 10, and we're going to close it up here. And Jesus concludes this story by saying this, For the Son of Man, in verse 10, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save 
that which was lost. I want you to understand that his mission, Jesus' mission, as important as it is, is also our mission too. Jesus is not the only one that should be seeing the souls. Of course, he paid the price. Of course, he's God. Of course, he does it much better, I'm sure, than we ever can. But we have to see a soul too. Now, I'm not taking away, I'm not negating the fact that there's consequences for sin. I'm not saying that people make bad decisions and, and, and perhaps those consequences are something certainly that the law is going to take care of and those kinds of things. I think we all understand those kinds of things. But we have to learn to see past that. We have to understand forgiveness. We have to be able to make sure that we are people who embrace repentance when that change is made. We truly see the person's soul for what it is. Valuable. Important. Godly. And if we're not able to reach them, we understand that eternal damnation is going to await them. So Jesus sees the soul. Do we? The Son of Man came to save and sake, to save and to seek that which was lost. Do we understand that is our duty tonight as well? As you wake up tomorrow, as you pull your donut out of the microwave, you notice I use a lot of donut jokes. I like donuts, by the way. You got your coffee pouring. You start your commute to wherever you're going to be going. I want you to do this. I want you to see the soul as you deal with your coworkers, as you deal with people at school, as you deal with your brothers and sisters as Christians. And I think that I would be remiss if I didn't point this out. Sometimes the most challenging thing for us as Christians is, by, is, is dealing with each other on occasion. The sinners out in the world are not the only ones we have to see the soul for. We have to see the souls for our brothers and for our sisters that are sitting next to us tonight. There are always occasions where we step on our brother's toes, or we step on our sister's toes, and then we become upset, or things happen, and we allow that to fester, the chip gets on our shoulder, and we no longer can see the soul. We're only concerned about how it affected us or how we were treated. And we have to be careful with that. Jesus sees a soul all of the time. So make sure you see a soul with everyone you deal with this week. Go see a soul, everyone you deal with, this week. Lesson is yours. If you're here tonight, if you're having difficulty seeing a soul, we want to help you with that. We'd encourage you to do some studying. We would love to sit down and study with you. We would love to help you in any way we possibly can. If you've not yet become a Christian, I want to tell you real quick, the Bible tells us so plainly, and clearly how we start seeing the value of that relationship with God, or the value of what our soul truly is worth to God. Here tonight, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You commit yourself to live with Him and for Him for as many as He's given you the time that you have here on this earth. We confess His good name. We repent of those things. We make that U-turn in our life. We make those changes, promising to live for Christ, promising to see that soul in everyone that we come in contact with. We follow that up through baptism by washing away the bad things, the mistakes, the sins, uh, the missed marks that we have in our life, promising again to live for Jesus each and every day to the best of our abilities that we have for the rest of our lives. If you're here tonight, we can help with any of those things. We truly, truly would love to help you with those things. Please think about this together while together we stand. Dost thou count all things for Jesus but loss? 
Is thy heart right with God? Is thy heart right with God? Washed in the crimson blood, cleansed and made holy, humble and lowly, right in the sight of God. Hast thou dominion or self and or sin? Is thy heart right with God? Over all evil without and within, is thy heart right with God? Is thy heart right with God? Washed in the crimson blood, cleansed and made holy, humble and lowly, right in the sight of God. Are all thy powers under Jesus' control? Is thy heart right with God? Does he each moment abide in thy soul? Is thy heart right with God? Is thy heart right with God? Washed in the crimson flood, cleansed and made holy, humble and lowly, right in the sight of God. Please be seated. <clears throat> For those that, Christians who have not had the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper today, it's been left prepared here on the table before me. If you would come and